You're listening to In Conversation, the podcast from Creative Coverage with me, Tim Saunders. Today, I'm with sculptor and stone carver, Maria Morehouse. You've been busy working on your latest commission, haven't you, Maria? Can you tell me all about it? Yes, I have. I'm actually a stone carver, but I have just started to do a collaboration in a very different way of using sculpture, which is a environmental installation. And I paired up with another creative coverage artist, Nicola Axe. I talked to her years ago that I had to carve stone. So she was the perfect partner for me to do this installation with. So basically, it's set in a rewilding site called Devon Sculpture Park. It's near Exeter, Nanhead. It's not really open to the public as, at the moment because it's kind of building a bit of momentum. There's a lot of other sculptors there creating pieces of work. Um, we're independent from each other, but we come together as a group and have meetings and chat about the artwork making, etc. So we sound off from each other about our ideas. This piece was kind of started in 2020 just after lockdown had opened up again and a few of us were invited up to the park to put a proposal in really it's a kind of labor of love kind of project and I pitched this idea to the owner that I wanted to create a big root system coming off of a big oak tree in their grounds. And it was a very small little idea. And I'd been doing a little bit of carving to do with roots with my own work. And uh, I don't know, it's just something I I wanted to do. So he loved the idea. And that's how it all started. So it took a bit of time to get going because of lockdowns and delays with weather and all being outside. We rely on that. But eventually we got going in sort of the summer of 21 and the original idea was really that we were going to create it all in stone but the expense and the actual physical side of that was going to be immense so we decided the other option was that we'd use found materials on the site which happened to be wood luckily they had a tree that had come down that they offered us so it was absolutely perfect for what we wanted so we used all the branches they were very big branches. It was an old eucalyptus tree to create this big root system coming from the oak tree, which was a site that I went round with the owner before we started. And it was such a beautiful spot because it's quite high up in the garden. And these gardens were capability brown kind of designed ones from the Victorian age. And the whole site's being rewilded now. So this particular site was a kind of round, a man-made sort of lake, but it's very established now, obviously, with lots of trees around it and there was one particular tree that just spoke to me and I said this is the spot so it sits around this lake so it's a very quiet very sort of zen place to sit so that's where we established the commission. How Mm. does the stone come into it? It was a very evolving project that the installation I've called it listen to the trees it's a statement about the importance of communication in our modern world and it focuses on the juxtaposition of nature and human communication. The stone part came about as as an added little extra to these root systems. The concept of the piece is that we understand how important the function of trees are in our planet and our environment and they have an intelligent root system that communicates with other trees using their underground networks. The sculpture is also visually connects with how we as human beings link and think about our ways of communicating and this is where the stone comes in because the stone we've added as little buds on the end of these roots and that's kind of like new growth and new ways of thinking about our planet and about how we communicate with each other. So Nicola and I actually carved lots 
to these little buds that go on to these roots. And then the other part of it was about the way, obviously, because the environment's our biggest issue at the moment, how we've discommunicated with nature and how we sometimes can discommunicate with us as humans. You can also relate this politically, can't you, with the um, crisis in Ukraine? I don't really want to go political. No, I don't blame you. It's a big feature of our world now. Mm. And what I was sort of coming across really is how our human to human contact, obviously we've still got that, but a lot of the internet and the way we communicate has been taken away from us because of that. So in the installation, I've added these kind of very bright wires that are representing our uh, network, our internet network, basically, and how some of that connection, although it's great in loads of ways, like we're talking together now, we couldn't do that without this. And, and lots of other fantastic roots that it's really been brilliant for but there are there is a dark side well i couldn't agree more the very dark side to to it and that's what i'm addressing more than the positive side we could take a leaf out of the tree's book couldn't we yes, quite literally we could. in terms of communication we literally could we literally could because um part of the commission is that i actually wrote a poem about the whole feeling of being up there because you get so immersed in your environment I mean, it was weeks and weeks we were working up there in all weathers and it's very peaceful. But there was a droning, which was a bit ironic, of uh, chainsaws going on around us. And I think they were, they were deforesting something around and about. Okay. And it was really powerful. So I wrote this um, poem about that experience, really. And um, just a, it was quite a long poem, the, the original one. There was a, a little bit at the end that really summed up what it was about and I carved a piece of lettering that's actually I've installed it now up at the site and it's just when you read that and you you're in the environment where the piece is it is so sort of reflective it's a very reflective immersive piece and you have to be there to really get the benefit of everything really and it's interesting how when you're a creative how you don't just focus on sculpture but you're writing poetry as well I know, yes. Everything I do, even when I'm doing my stone carvings, which I've been doing a very long time now, and and I teach it as well, through my own practice, I definitely look into the more spiritual side of being a creative person. It's not just the physical side of of, um, making a piece of artwork in a material. It's really about um, exercising your spiritual thoughts or your your way, the way you see the world. Basically, the material is is a means of expressing that visually to other people and when I teach my students I try to get them to really connect with what they they want to say about their work but like I say I do that with my own work as well. Will you communicate in any medium or are you purely focused on the poetry and the sculpture? I trained a long time ago to be a a fine artist when I started back when I was about 16 I've done this my whole life so I've not had any other job that's took me in a different direction I've literally from school went straight into art schools and discovered clay to start with which was the the material that really drew me to sculpture before that I was I tried all sorts of different mediums through my different courses that I went through as a, as a younger person and enjoyed them all but just sculpture drew me it was the physicalness of it I think that, that it was then I did my foundation course in art and I really explored sculpture more than anything when I was doing that different materials again hadn't found stone at this point so I was trying clay I was trying plaster I was trying wood all sorts of things and then when I went on to do my degree course in fine art over at Canterbury in Kent, that is when it 
really started and I discovered stone there. It was in the sort of early 90s and a lot of sculpture and art was very, very conceptual. And a lot of the old types of materials like the bronze and the clay and the stone and all, all the traditional ways of creating sculpture were not quite in vogue around about that time but they were still there and I tapped in on all of them so I I tried bronze casting and bronze work I tried plaster I tried clay stone and then the stone just took me and I've loved it ever since and of course I did that for three years doing a degree but I still experimented I was I'm a very much an experimenter I like to combine materials together as well. But then from leaving university, I got a studio with a friend who's a painter and I carried on carving stone from then on. And after a little while, I decided I really wanted to get trained properly how to deal with stone and everything. So I went off and found a course in Weymouth, which trains stonemasons and stone ornamental stone carvers and letter cutters, traditional skills of, of learning the trade, really. So I went off and did that for a couple of years which you know I was a minority in the women front there was it was a very male dominated well I was about um, to say that to you I mean it's pretty brave isn't it yeah there was only even today although as of the creative coverage membership we have three sculptors who are all female working in stone you Nicorax and Coomer in Scotland so what do you think is the real draw for you I think it's to start with the material itself is an, an amazingly spiritual material i mean it's laid down in the sea i I tend to use all sorts of stone but i tend to go for the sedimentary limestones which were all formed in the seabed in the jurassic period probably and more even more so than that they are full of fossils and different materials they're they're like a little piece of history really of the land of the world and so that's very special because you don't know what you're going to find as you carve they've all got very different qualities to them depending on what part of the country that they come from every piece is unique you don't get the same it might be the same type of stone but you're it'll come from a different bed level of, of the quarry and you'll get a different thing a different result with with each piece they might Do have you the same... a particular type of stone i've been carving bath stone for a long time which is a medium soft stone mm-hmm. and you you will get lots of fossils in that but it depends on what part of the bath of the cotswolds area you get it from but each quarry's got very different quality some are finer some are coarser some come up better than others when you're polishing them portland's obviously the, the king of stones in England, this country, because it's so durable. It's used for everything under the sun. You know, most of London's full of Portland stone. You can carve anything in it. It holds a beautiful line for letter cutting and it's, you know, it's very white. So it's, it suits a lot of purposes really i have actually over lockdown i started to get very much into the really soft stones from abroad like soapstones from india which are absolutely stunning uh, i mean they are it's a very beautiful soft stone to carve so it's very easy and the colors are just beautiful and you can polish it up really well and alabaster i've been having a go with as well i think that that particular one was from spain i think white alabaster but you do have to be very careful with with different stones because some of them are a bit dangerous for your health so you've got to be very aware that some of them do hold sort of, uh, some soapstones have got a, actually um, asbestos in so you've got to be very very careful what ones you select and 
you got to have them certified by your, your stone supplier, really. And talking about health, mm. yeah, I mean, thinking about your your hands, your wrists, your your mm. back when you're lifting mm. the stone. How, how do you deal with that? Well, it takes its toll on you. Yes, the limestones and most stones are very dry into your skin. So I tend to wear gloves, lots of barrier cream, gloves hand cream afterwards so that sort of helps them usually put something around your hair because it makes your hair very dry lifting you've got to be if it's too heavy to lift on your own you just do not do it always get someone else to help you obviously bending your knees and there's certain ways you can lift stone i always use a hydraulic little lift to lift anything too heavy to get it up onto my bench so i saved my back i did have a bit of a back i've got a back injury but it wasn't actually anything to do with carving. <laughs> oh, that's surprising. <laughs> it hasn't helped. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I popped a disc out when I was about 22. When I was working after I finished university, I um, had a little bit of time out of work because just couldn't find anything at the time. Uh, so I, I got some part-time work on a hop farm where we lived um, in Kent and uh, where I shared my studio with a friend, my painter friend. And... Um, it was picking apples in an orchard and uh, the ground was very uneven. And I, unbeknown, I got I popped a disc out and it started to hurt really bad. So as time went on, although I went to the hospital every to get it dealt with, they didn't really deal with it properly. And I suffered for years with that and um, very painful. And now it's eventually popped itself. I've got one disc missing in my back, which was very nasty, but I've had to learn to kind of adjust. It hasn't stopped me carving. It did for a little while because I had to have a bit of an operation on it. I carried on. I haven't let it stop me. So I've just adjusted to everything that I do. So there's certain things I can't do anymore. Um, I can't play badminton. <laughs> Anything impact that, that's going to jolt it, I can't do. But it's fine with my carving. I've, I've managed to deal with that well. Well, that's interesting when you think of the bashing on the stone. And exactly. So do, do you ever suffer from repetitive strain syndrome? Thank goodness I don't. No, I don't. Because with carving, everyone thinks it's really like, it is very physical, but it's also very gentle. It's all about your technique, really. It, if you pace yourself well, when you're doing like um, very fine work, it's actually very gentle. You're just using your wrist and you've got to make sure you take regular breaks you're not overdoing it good posture that's a really good one because uh, people forget about their posture when they're carving i did when i was younger and you start getting back aches and neck aches and everything but if you're just really more aware of yourself when you're carving a three-hour carving session is fine for me and then i need a break it's just looking after yourself and being a little bit mindful about what you're doing you know so that you you don't overstretch yourself and uh, you know start injuring your, yourself when you're doing big roughing out that's like when you're taking all the big the material away from the, the piece to get to the, the actual material that you're going to carve your shape from that is very physical and that is quite heavy going but you do it in small bursts and I'm a hand carver so I don't use any machinery a lot of people do which I understand because sometimes if you're under if you've got a lot of commissions on or something and you've got a time scale you do need a bit of help with some electrical tools but I don't tend to do that I like to be fully immersed in the carving um, techniques that you can work through a process of different tools to do every single job that you need to do right to the finish so from the start roughing out using your big hammers and, and your claw tools and punches and there's all things that they've used way back in the medieval days they got 
they managed to build cathedrals in that way. Which um, is incredible to think of, isn't it? It really is. I mean, when you really understand what people went through to, to create these amazing buildings, it is absolutely boggling, really, because you've got to be very, you've got to have a lot of consistency when you're a carver and you've got to be very open to if anything goes wrong, you obviously, unlike a piece of clay, you could sort of re-stick it back on and, and reform it. You can't with stone. Stone is a resistant material and whatever mark you make on that piece, that's it. You know, you've left your mark and that's what it's going to be. So you've got to be very thoughtful when you're carving. I tend to be very much an intuitive carver and I love carving and finding the form in the piece. I do have a little bit of an idea what I want to do. I tend to do a little sort of sketch or something or maybe a a quick little maquette but more often than not I like to do direct carving which is when you're finding that form there in the stone and when you carve like that you become so immersed in what you're doing and it's quite exciting because you don't know quite where it's going to go and sometimes it's frustrating. I do teach this technique to a lot my students some of them get on with it really really well and some of them absolutely hate it it's just one of those things really it's what you you aspire to i suppose it's whether it works with you some people love to plan other people are very spontaneous so that's that's how it works really depends on your personality a little bit well i'm just thinking of the letter carving just writing a letter you can make a mistake so i mean carving stone must be really you've got no tipex either have you no 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 it's it's probably the most disciplined part of carving stone because you can't get it wrong and if you do it it shows up terrible and then you've got to either be very sad that it's gone wrong and a bit frustrated or you have to start it again and it's very very time consuming because you have to um, especially if you're doing it by hand you've got to obviously plan plan it all out first you've got to plan all the spacing you've got to plan all the letter forms firstly you've got to choose what type of font you want to use once you've found that whatever the wording is whether it's a poem or or inscription of some sort you've got to plan out on paper first how it's going to look like do a design once that's all done then you've got to obviously start getting the whole piece put together the right size whatever it's whether it's a small or a large font you've got to select your stone to make sure that's going to work well with with your inscription you've got to rub the stone down before you start because you can't rub it down afterwards because you start rubbing all the edges making the edges a bit rounded when you've done your letters so that all has to be done first and then once you've planned it all out and got it got the layout good and everything's good then you would lay it out on your stone and transfer it on with some transfer paper and then you can start cutting it and then the cutting side of things you rough out the letters first so you just take out the sort of main bulk of the stone but you've got to do it in a certain way which is a v-cut you have to cut through the letter in the middle and then you work all the all the stone away from the edge to the edges so you're starting through the middle towards the edges not the other way around because you've got to keep a center line through the whole letter all the way through so there's a hell of a lot to to actually keep your eye on and then if you chip over the edge then you start to cry (laughs) because it's gone wrong (laughs) it's a very slow and very sort of relaxing actually even though it's a bit tense because you don't want to do it wrong you have to relax into your carving and it's very peaceful actually carving letters it's really quite nice i really enjoy it it's terrifying at the same time With your years of experience, you can never yeah. get to enjoy it. <laughs> I know, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> this project, I presume you've completed now. 
Yeah, it's all finished and ready, yeah. And will that be there forevermore? It will, I think, yes. It's a permanent piece. I think there will be a time soon where they're going to sort of open the park up properly. But at the moment, it's it's almost like a, a, an incubation sort of sculpture park because other artists are doing big projects up there as well. And I think once the, once the park's filled up with lots of work, I think they'll probably start opening it up to, to the public. Now, you also wanted to talk to me about sculpt works, didn't you? Oh, yes. So this is my team teaching side of um, my career. I started teaching, been doing it for 20 years now, and I started off really working for my local adult education centre way back, doing evening classes in stone carving. Because it was such a a unique subject, it got very, very popular. So I built up a big, big amount of people uh, coming on a very regular basis all through the year, really. And I did that for a good, good while, about 16 years. I worked for the adult education in Devon. And then as time went on, I actually wanted to start running my own classes, really, not working for anybody. So I started a, a small group up over at Dartington where I work now, Dartington Hall Estate near Totnes and from there it kind of grew even more so and I decided to leave my job at adult education and start off my own business so that is called Sculptworks. So I um, run weekday courses all through the year and then I do weekend workshops here and there throughout the, the year as well. And I also do a craft festival over at Buffy Tracy and do workshops with them over that weekend when they do their craft festival. And I've been doing that for many years now. But it's a, it's a really small group I do. And so I keep it nice and intimate and we do everything by hand as, as I do myself when I carve. And I teach people in a really sort of friendly environment and we can all talk about each other's work and I've had many people that have left me now and Nicola was one of them actually that I've taught and they've managed to become an artist themselves in their own right. Oh you feel very proud. I'm very, very proud. You know, she's an amazingly talented artist herself. So um I feel very proud of the people I've helped to get get on track with their own careers really. What type of people come to your courses? I'm interested to find out. All sorts. I've taught over the years I don't do this so much now, but I've taught young teenagers. I did a, a Saturday club for a while, which was really lovely for them. I've so I've taught that age group. I've worked in schools and taught older teenagers. I've worked through my regular people are either probably around about 40 plus in age group and either they're still at work and they, they've got days off and they come and do some carving every week or they've retired early retirement or a bit later on and they just want a interesting kind of subject to, to do on their days that they want you know just to fill their time with something that's a bit different but all of the people that I've taught have been with me for at least 10 years or more some of them so they come back every year they're kind of like my, my little carving family really all of them because totally. we've all got to know each other very well over the years i've seen them all develop with their skill as time has gone on so it's been a very progressive thing we have a, a lovely relaxed time while they're in the in the group so it's 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 a really nice thing for for me and for them actually what was it always very interesting to me is i've, I've had a lot of people that work in offices and they've said oh we, we feel so like we want to do something physical we don't want to just be sitting and i want we want to do something you know where we're producing something you can literally hold in your hand so i've had a lot of people like that that have, have found it very very sort of uplifting doing something like stone carving because it's so different from their day job it's a very enriching and rewarding side of my creative practice really if anyone listening to this is inspired mm. enough to pick up a hammer and chisel yeah. what do you recommend they do well i think doing a, a weekend work 
workshops the best start because one you'll see if you like it for us for the starter and it's a short course so you're not committed to heavily if you don't want to do a big 10-week course you don't have to you can just see if you like it and do you um, have to buy any materials or you know like what do you need to do it what you need is one you need a space where it's going to get messy so outside space really so if you've got a little shed you can convert into a little mini studio that'd be ideal with a bit of ventilation obviously because of the dust you'd need a nice sturdy table that reaches kind of your hip level you don't want anything too lower than that because that you get bad back so you need to have that you need a piece of carpet just to put on the table it takes all the impact out of when you're carving obviously you need a piece of stone and you'd need a small little tool kit to start you off with which you can buy online there's lots of companies that sell a whole tool kit so you'd need it for marble or limestone type stone because there there are tools out there are just for granite and granite is the hardest stone going and you you don't want to be doing that if you're a beginner i don't even carve granite and a place to work it really and i'll probably say to start something off is probably go and do a, a um, direct carving just get a piece of stone and start carving and see what you can find in it is there a piece of stone that you can always rely on portland bath I would say beginners, Bath's definitely a brilliant one. It's lovely and soft. You can get it in this country. It doesn't have to be imported or anything. Bath's brilliant for that. So I'd definitely recommend Bath. Portland's harder. I'd say you probably get into Portland once you've had a, a few goes at carving. Um, some of my people in my groups that are quite new to me now have really wanted to go for it and went straight into a piece of Portland. It really depends on, on how you feel about that, really. But once you do start carving Portland, you probably don't want to look back. It's, it is probably the best stone. For, like I say, like I said earlier, it's, it's brilliant for everything, whether you're carving a, a little relief carving, a piece of lettering, a big sculpture, small sculpture, whatever and it polishes up really beautifully as well as a real complete beginner i would definitely say a piece of bath stone would be your best best choice yeah and are you able to create a sculpture sitting down or do you have to stand up to do it well i'd say doing a sculpture you'd have to stand up if you're doing a piece of relief carving you probably could sit down for a certain amount of time doing that but you do tend to want to move around your piece a lot so it is very much a standing up thing i could say i've got an exhibition coming up soon well you could yes and yes. um, over at um dartington where i operate skull works it, it's also the room that i do my own working as well it's known as the ship and artist studios there's three other artists there and we are joining forces and doing an exhibition at Dartington Hall Estate soon in the gallery there. So I'm the sculptor. We've got a painter, drawer, printmaker and an environmentalist painter from the 30th of March over at Dartington Hall Estate. It goes on to the 15th of May. It's been lovely talking to you, Maria. Well, thank you. It's been great talking to you too, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for your time.